And everyone said amen. Now grab your Bibles. Of course, we're in a word, st- uh, 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 we're in a Bible study. We're in a book study. So you can't, uh, you can't just listen to me and follow through. We're reading through the Bible. We're going to study Titus. And there are several important reasons. Very short book, but very, very powerful things. So we're looking at Titus, a study of Paul's letter to Titus, the young, enthusiastic convert turned preacher. All right, now let's go to the next slide, if you would. Uh, and let's begin with Titus 1.1. Let's read it together. I know you want to get seated. Here we go. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. Praise God. Could we lift our hands and ask God to anoint his word and his messenger tonight? Father, I thank you because your word is real and powerful. We pray that our hearts will be right, that our souls will hunger for the word of God. Lord, that we will know the truth and that it will set us free. That truth will be uh, important to us, central to our thinking. And Lord, help us to see why. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. Now, the theme of uh, Titus, we've been through this in the introduction. The theme of Titus is the truth. That is, the truth is all important. You can't say, well, it doesn't matter or God doesn't care. That's pretty much the postmodern answer lately, that it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. That's sort of become a, uh, a way of saying, oh, uh, God is pretty much on vacation. He knows very little and uh, I'm sincere anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, it doesn't matter. And, and, and Paul writes Titus to tell him, don't ever preach such a lie. That is not true, and it will never work. It is the truth that saves. So Paul writes to his protege, Titus, com- uh, comprising these three chapters that we're studying, to guide him concerning the importance of being a minister of the gospel. He put him over the island of Crete. We looked at that earlier. And, of course, chapter 1 talks about that, so we're going to bring it back up. It is, it's significant that in that short letter to a young preacher, a name that would probably have just passed us by, that Paul the Apostle emphasizes three critical things of great importance. Number one, the preaching of the word of God. Everyone say the preaching the preaching of the word of God. Some of you, if it came to your vote, there would be no preaching or there would only be the preaching from your favorite star, somebody that you want to listen to and you tell them and you pat them on the back and you tell them what to preach. In fact, I know preachers that get their sermons from books. They get it. A denomination sends them their sermons in a book. But the preaching of the word of God is number one if you're going to be saved. There must be the preaching of the word of God. Number two, the central importance of sound doctrine. Everyone say sound. Sound doctrine. That, of course, is the apostles' doctrine. And number three, the necessity of holiness. So Paul begins to build his letter around these three central aspects preaching of the word the importance of sound doctrine and the necessity of holiness and of course the very first verse uh helps us to see this paul a servant of god and an apostle of jesus christ according to the faith of god's elect and the acknowledging of the truth everyone say the acknowledging of the truth which is just another way of saying the knowledge of the truth. Now, some of you have never haven't read your Bible in so long, you don't even know what's in the Bible. It's been so long since you've thumbed through the Bible, you've got far too many movies to see and far too many other things that keep you occupied. The Bible is the last thing that comes to your mind. And I'm warning you, if you dare to put the Bible aside as though it is nothing, there will be repercussions. You must build your life upon the preaching of the word of God, the centrality of sound doctrine and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. I don't care what your denomination is. I don't care if the United Pentecostal Church never preaches holiness again. It is the word of God. We will preach holiness because the Bible preaches holiness. 
the centrality of sound doctrine, the necessity of holiness. So truth becomes the central theme. How to know the truth, how to get the truth into your, into your life, and how to live the truth. So the acknowledging or the, the knowledge of the truth which is after or pertains to godliness. So all truth pertains to godliness. If your holiness is ungodliness, then it's not of God. Let's say you have a holiness that says you can sin and cheat and you can do vile things. That's not of God. That's still vile. You can call it holiness all you want to. I've had people say to me, well, that's just your view of holiness. No, no, no. See, I'm not talking about my view of holiness. I'm talking about God's view of holiness. This is what God says. And they'll say, well, I, I, I care about what God says, but I interpret it differently. Well, how do you interpret it when it says that you're not supposed to curse like a sailor? How do you interpret that? Of course, the word sailors, you get my point. I'm being a little ad lib here. And they would say, well, I don't think God cares. That's what that's usually their answer. He understands. It's the, you know, things are. And here's the new one. What's well, not so new, but you hear this a lot now is, uh, the, the, you know, it's uh, it's a new uh, <laughs> a new day. Uh, we used to say, well, it's a new millennium or something like that. And so that's supposed to mean that things have changed and God understands. God understands when things change and now we can commit adultery. He understands that. And if you're not committing adultery, you're watching it day and night because you've filled your life so filled with Hollywood's vileness that you can't understand righteousness. And, of course, that is going to destroy you and truth, and it will keep you from an altar. It'll make you yawn when someone says it's time to pray. It'll make you yawn when someone says, let's study the Bible. When you got to wipe the dust off your Bible, you get all disturbed. Somebody's making you actually read the Bible. Some preacher gets up and says something with authority, and you say, I don't think preachers ought to be like that. No, sir, I'm, 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 uh, I'm going to preach the word of God tonight. We're going to study the word of God, and I do not apologize for it. The word of God is essential. You cannot get by on potato chips and movies day after day after day and then claim, oh, I'm just fine because I wear my skirt to there. You can wear your skirt to there all day long. And if you do not love God's word, you're on dangerous ground. In fact, some of the most vile people I've ever met had long skirts. Yes, sir. They had long skirts. And their hearts were as vile as they could be. They were as filled with adultery as anybody you would ever meet. But they had an outward display. And so they thought they had it all worked out. But it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work like that. You've got to get a change on the inside. You hate people. You're full of racism. You have not the slightest intention of changing your heart. Because you're an old-fashioned, I do what I please, nobody tells me what to do person including God, because you don't have a clue what God's telling you to do because you never listen to it. Well, Paul tells Titus, listen, Timothy, the first thing you do is you go in there and you clean house and you let them know that God's in the boss here, not them. Now, let's, get, let's take a quick look. You say, I don't believe that. All right, let's go. Now, we're going to skip the next one because I've really already done it, but uh, go, go to the next one. Okay, so this one, that's kind of, doesn't that look kind of Easter-like? So uh, these are titles of books, Guard the Truth, Live with Integrity, uh, Be Faithful, Live the Doctrine, and so on. All these titles are various ways of going around the fact without saying it that truth is the center of the, of the book of Titus. Okay, let's go to the next one. Now here we, we're looking here at 2 Corinthians. Everybody say 2 Corinthians. Now the only other place, well let me think, um, the two main places besides the book of Titus Okay, I'm going to say something here that's very interesting to the story of Titus. His story is recorded in the book of Acts, and yet his name, Brother French, Sister French, uh, this is uh, Brother Nathan, Sister Sarah, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Um, all right, his name, the name Titus, I'm pretty sure, I'm, I'm not second-guessing myself. But as far as I can recall, the name Titus is never mentioned in the book of Acts. And yet all the story about him is from the book of Acts. For example, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us in the book of Acts that Titus was right there. Even though there's not a word of that in the book of Acts. There's not a word there that said Titus did this or Titus did that. 
And so we know his story from Acts. And the two main parts that we're going to look at are Acts chapter 15. Everybody say 15, which is when, when the Jews were upset because Gentiles were becoming Christians. And so Paul took Titus See at the very top of that slide. It's kind of small. Paul took Titus to Jerusalem during the debate over the Gentile church. They they weren't they the, the debate was, OK, it's OK for them to become Christians, but they must be circumcised. They must become Jewish and Christian at the same time. And Paul said, over my dead body, it's not happening. And so that was a great debate. And Paul took Titus, who was his convert. And there's uh, one of the interesting things about Titus is that he was so very young, and yet he was so very involved and became a right-hand man to the great, the great man, I guess we could say, someone like Paul. They never wrote a book, even though a book was named after him and all of those things. So in Acts 15, we have the debate over. Now, the only way we know about that, though, Acts chapter 15 does not mention Titus. Are you, are you listening to me? Can you, are, you, are you mad at me already? All right, so he, he does not mention Titus by name, but Galatians chapter 2 mentions Titus by name. And Paul says, when I went to Jerusalem, Titus was with me. And he was not circumcised. And he, he goes on to explain. And, of course, the book of Galatians is all about that. But now we come to Acts 19, which we only know that Titus was there because 2 Corinthians 2 tells us when he, I, I don't have a pointer, but see up there on the right. When I came to Troas, um, Lord, I, I desperately need that pointer. Um, OK, so can you follow the dotted lines and the, and the green arrows? Lord, I'm praying for a pointer. Lord, I'm praying for no, I'm just <laughs> Okay, the Lord is providing a pointer. Hallelujah. Let's see. Okay, you may never get this back. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> All right, so th they left Antioch. There's the third missionary journey. He goes around, and he comes to Ephesus where he's planning to meet. We, all, we know all this because uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, chapter 7, chapter 8, and, and all through there, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians what was happening in his third journey that involved Corinth. Here's Corinth. So he ends up in Corinth, all right? And they go back and forth. But he comes here because he wants to know in his third missionary journey uh, whether or not the Corinthian church has heeded. He thought the church was mad at him. In fact, most scholars call it the severe letter. Paul wrote them a severe letter. We read about it in 2 Corinthians where he says, I wrote you a severe letter and I knew that some of you would not receive it unless God. Now what he's doing is he's introducing the fact that the only way an individual can come to truth. Now listen to me is if they're convicted of their sin. If you think that I can just worship a statue and there's no problem, you will never find the truth. But if you become convicted and your heart begins to, you'll start saying, oh Lord, are you talking to me? Conviction becomes the center of what it is to fight. That's why Paul says, listen, Timothy, you must preach with conviction. You must preach with conviction. And conviction comes through preaching that nobody owns the preacher. Nobody says, I own you because I gave you $5. You don't own the preacher because you gave him $5. The preacher is God's man. And so Titus is learning this. So he says, I came to Troas and I had no rest because I could not find Titus. Titus was supposed to meet him there and give him news about Corinth, whether Corinth was mad or not. And so he says, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't get a minute's rest because I was afraid Corinth was going to backslide and turn away just because I'd been so severe with them. You don't know sometimes what go through, goes through a preacher's mind. You just don't know. And so he goes on to Macedonia, and that's what's at the bottom here. And now I've got a pointer. Woo! All right, Paul had to go to Macedonia before he, he finally caught up with Titus. They didn't, they didn't have helicopters like the one that flew over here just a moment ago. They didn't have airplanes. They didn't have cars. They didn't have uh, any of those modes of travel. So it took days and days and days and days. And he goes all the way around, and he gets over. Of course, see, Macedonia is this region 
right there. It seems kind of washed out from, from this vantage point. All right, so there's that region of Macedonia, which is basically a, I, I think of it as a province of Greece, but it may be some other name for it. And so while he's in Macedonia, he meets up with Titus. And, and of course, Titus says, listen, oh, you're not going to believe it. After you preached that sermon and you thought they were mad at you, they got down and they started repenting and praying and talking to God. The women were going to chop their hair off and, and, the, and the men were doing ungodly things and, and, and all the things that Paul talks about. And, and he said, what, well, what happened? He said, the, the Holy Ghost fell and the whole church in Corinth was refilled with the Holy Ghost and the power of God moved in such a powerful way. And they said, oh, thank God that Paul preached the truth to us. And Paul said, oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, he said. They received the word. I wrote him the letter. Just imagine you have to send a letter, and it takes 30 days to get the letter there. And then it takes a, a, several months before you ever know what they think about the letter you sent them. You say that sounds like the American Post. No, I'm just kidding. That doesn't. You can get, folks, let me tell you, we've got, uh, I was reading something today, though, about the post office, something about, Oh, the, the, the great debt the post office is in. It was all in the news today. And how they're battling to keep the post office floating or whatever and, and so on. But I don't want to tell you, you put a little stamp on there and you send a letter and just like that. And it's not as fast as email. But if you put a stamp on email, uh, it goes pretty fast. And Paul had to wait and wait to see what was going to happen. And the person that brought the news was Titus. So in a way, it was befitting that Paul would, would write Titus. And of course, he, he ended up taking over the church down here in, in Crete. Paul thought that Titus was the cat's meow. Titus was the great preacher. He was outstanding everywhere he went. People would, like the Corinthians, for example, they would say, I, I don't have time to go to all these passages, but they would say things like, send Titus. Don't, don't send him. Send Titus. And you can imagine, of course, in a way that made Paul feel good, that they wanted Titus. He knew Titus was good. They knew Titus, Titus was the kind of man they appreciated, and he, he understood that. But he also knew that you don't just handpick people because that's who I like and I can boss them around and tell them what to do. And Paul said, listen, listen, you get down here in Crete and you do not let them tell you what the gospel is. You tell them what the gospel is. And so it goes. So he gets the news and then they begin to collect a, the offering, the famous offering for Jerusalem. They were starving. There was a great famine and so on. And so Macedonia, the poorest church in all of Greece, received a great offering. And so he wrote Corinth and said, looky there, Corinth. Macedonia, the poorest province in all of Greece, has collected the largest offering. So what did he do? He rebuked them. And you know what it did? It brought conviction. Someone said, how dare him ask us to give? Well, I'll tell you how we dare, because God says that we are to receive offerings as unto the Lord. It is not an option. You don't say, well, tithe if you want to. Folks, listen, tithing is not an option. Tithing is not an option. I tithe exactly as you tithe. How many knows that 10% is 10%? How many knows 10% is 10%? You can have a UPC license or you can have a, a ABC license. 10% is 10%. You tithe 10%. Praise God. So they sent the offering, but before they sent the offering, got, got back with Corinth would not send their offering. They had more money than anybody. Corinth was the richest city in all of Greece, including Athens. I've preached this before, folks. Corinth was so wealthy that it was known as the wealthy center of the world, and they would not send their offering, and it was not because they didn't have the money. It was because they were selfish. And Paul said, you better let go of that money, not for Jerusalem, but for yourself. If you hold on to that which God demands, you will pay the price. 
could have said, oh, well, you've got money, and so well, just, so send, just make sure you send me a nice offering, you know. Let him starve in Jerusalem. He could have said that. Of course, he would have never been the apostle Paul, but he said, no, sir, no, I'm, I'm going to preach the truth, and they responded. So they said, oh, my goodness, you mean the Macedonians have given that great big offering? And so they got together, and when they got the offering together and Titus made it, and, and he met, caught up with Titus, he said, oh, Paul, you're not going to believe this offering. And he said, listen, we need somebody that can go with this offering and protect it and then get it to us. Lots of issues about this offering. And so let's get this to Jerusalem. Of course, there was the debate over these Gentiles sending money to the Jews or Christian Jews. And so the churches got all the Greek churches got together and said, there's only one man we want to. Anybody know who it was? There's only one, only one man we want to go with you, Paul. And that's Titus. We want Titus to go with you. And when you stand there and you tell them how Macedonia gave and they were so poor. In fact, they'd already given an offering to Macedonia because they were so poor. And the, and the, the famine had affected them so drastically. And then once they got over it, they immediately took every dime, extra dime they had and gave it to give to the church in Jerusalem. And that so convicted the church in Corinth that, that they took up the greatest offering in the history of the church and and sent Paul back to Jerusalem with famine relief money for Jerusalem. And yet, the book of Acts never mentions his name. So let's go. Let's go into chapter 1. So that's a little prelude here. And we can talk about how this is played out in chapter 1 of Titus. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the knowledge or acknowledging, as the King James chooses to say, the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie. Let's read that together. Are you there? You might be easier to read it from your Bible. Here we go. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. I know this is repeat, but he promised it before the world began because he tells us that in his eternal purposes, everyone say eternal that in his eternal, where do you read that? Ephesians chapter 1, several places. God says, in my eternal purposes, I saw you, I had you in mind. Praise God. So I may not be everything, but I was, I was in God's eternal purposes. And as I said a few times during Easter, I don't mean to just repeat myself. But when he was on the cross... I was on his mind. Hallelujah. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He knew at the very beginning that he had a purpose and a promise. And so God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began in that he included us in his thoughts even before the world was created. Can we just lift our hands and thank God for it? Lord, whatever the need is, whatever comes, however long my life may be, I know that you thought about me before I was even born. Hallelujah. Like Jeremiah said, you saw my frame even before I was in my mother's womb, oh Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. In fact, I believe America is going to be judged for killing innocent babies in the womb through abortion. I believe America is facing judgment because it has, could care less about the life of innocence. It pretends to care about whales and snails, but it cares not for the life of a child and its mother. And therefore, it will someday face a God that will judge. But a church rises up and said, I refuse to be compromised by an ungodly world. I'm going to live for God. He hath in due times manifested his word through preaching. Everyone say through preaching. So there you go. You could buy a million Bibles and stack them on your roof. And without a preacher, you will be lost. You must heed the preaching of the word of God and know its truth in your soul. He has manifested or made clear his word through preaching which is committed unto me, he said, and so forth. To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, Lord Christ. Okay, now let's go now into verse 5. Set in order the things. Everyone say, set in order. Set in order the things that are wanting. And ordain elders in every city. Can you say elders? See, you notice here, let's read. I'm, I'm not going to read. Obviously, I'm not going to read what I've taken out. 
because I've taken it out for time's sake. Set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders. Blameless. So they've got to be blameless. The husband of one wife having faithful children. Not accused of right or unruly. For a bishop must be what? Blameless. Everyone say blameless. All right. And of course, this last word. You, can you see this? I have a pointer now, so I will help you. You see this arrow right here? Could we turn these lights out? I really feel anointing here tonight. All right. So this word riot, this word unruly. All right. So what I'm, what I'm going to say, I want you to listen to me. I'm trying to teach you. I'm trying to tell you. you don't, don't tell me, well, I thought something else. Okay, fine. But I'm preaching to you. I'm preaching to you. I don't care what you thought about a bishop and an, an elder before. That's fine and good. I care. I love that. But I'm telling you and I'm preaching to you tonight that as far as I can see, there is no significance in the difference between what we are calling an elder and what we are calling a bishop. Except I'm sure that a bishop, because the word is different, it is a separate word, that a worship, uh, I mean, a bishop had a particular role to play. I would suggest that I think that role was he was involved over many churches, like a soup, we think of as a superintendent. Or, or we might say, as we did in the Church of God years ago, but nobody cares, we called them overseers. And so I do believe that's what a bishop was. But there was no significant difference in an elder, which was just another word for a preacher that was a pastor that was over you. And he said, this is what you must have. Do not put a man in charge of a church that thinks more of golf than he does the gospel. Have you ever read that in the Bible? Well, because it's not in the Bible. But anyway, it sounded really good. Um, no, but if I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe people's love for sports that has overruled their love for God is destroying the Pentecostal church. I believe that people who think their intellect and education are more important than revival are destroying the Pentecostal church. An elder was a leader and a bishop was a leader. I said there's no significant difference between them. Therefore, if I choose to call a man a bishop, I've been challenged on this many times. How, why do you call him a bishop? Well, because I want to. Who do you call a bishop? Well, well give me your list. I want to see if it matches up with the word of God. Titus was told that the very same qualifications for a man of God in a church was the same required of a man of God over a bunch of churches. If he's a bishop, he's got to live holy. If he's a man of God, he's got to live holy. So, blameless, meaning uh, well, you know what blameless is. The husband of one wife. That is, if he's married, this is not a requirement that he must be married. Because Titus was their bishop. He was over every church in Crete. He was not married. There's no, in, in fact, how many knows that Paul was not married? All right. All right. Husband of one wife, having faithful children. I'm saying faithful children. That doesn't mean he has to have children. Are you following me? Doesn't mean, okay, uh, if he doesn't have any children, he cannot be an elder. But it doesn't mean that. It means, as the common sense would rule, if he's married, he's to have only one wife. And he, if he's married, he's to have faith and has children, they're to be faithful children. That is to say, because I know I felt it immediately, the prickles. Well, how could a man dictate how his children will live? And that is the point. That's why I've introduced it thus. If you have no conviction about how your children live, 
you are not worthy for the ministry. If you say my children get away with it, then you're not worthy of the ministry. The minute you say my children are off limits, nobody can judge how my children live. You are not worthy of the ministry. Because the most important thing a man of God must think about is, is he transferring conviction for righteousness into the heart of his children? That's if he has children. If he doesn't have children, then he doesn't have any children to transfer it into. And so it is. He must have faithful children, not accused of riot. Everyone say riot. Now, I've given you here the Greek word asotias, asotias. I've got a pointer. I know you can't see it. Asotias. Didn't that help you for me to do that? All right. That means to be controlled by, let's just say, immorality. You can't control what they watch, what they do, and you just close your eyes to it. And you are accused, you could be accused of being unconcerned about what controls the lives of your children, then do not put such a man over the church. That man, can, if he cannot rule his home, then he cannot rule the house of God. What makes him think he should be an authority over people's spiritual matters when he does not care about the spiritual life of his own children? And so it was. Or unruly. Everyone say unruly. That is to say, you can't tell them anything. They're smart Alex. And so someone says, wait a minute. Do you, have you seen his kids? Have you seen the way they live? Do you see how they treat their dad? They could care less about it. And you know what he does? He just smiles. Then he's not blameless. Skip over him. Go to so find someone who cares about his children going to heaven. And then maybe, that, maybe you'll find the right person. All right? <clears throat> so what we condone and accept as behavior we endorse and believe. If we condone it, someone said, I just watched it in a movie. If you condone it in a movie, now you listen to me. You can, you can run me off tomorrow. You condone it in a movie, and you have accepted it as your behavior. You say, but I never did it. doesn't matter. You've condoned it, and you've praised it, and you've coddled it, and brought it into your life, and it has made you now full of blame because you've accepted and condoned that which should not be condoned. Now, we have no control over Hollywood and what they do. I can tell you that right now. But I can preach against it. But you know what they're trying to do? They're trying to make it so preachers cannot preach against the sin that they're committing. Anybody ever heard of John the Baptist preaching against the king? And he said, you're, you're committing adultery with your brother's wife. Guess what happened to John? They sliced his head off. The spirit of Herod is in the land. And it's called Hollywood. That's good preaching. Don't accept behavior in the lives of your children. And when I say accept, I don't mean that you can live their lives. You cannot live their lives. But you can say to them, you can tell the board, my, my, my baby girl has done wrong. I do not condone it. You don't have to. Uh, she's cut her hair. I do not condone it. And let them see the tears run off your face. You do not have to say, well, off limits. Don't ever talk about what my children have done wrong. Now, I know people make, and I'm not trying to uh, give a license to hurting preacher's kids. I don't believe in it for one second. And if you want to hurt a preacher's kid, you're of the devil. You are not of God. But the man of God can tell the board, my children are not doing right. I have preached and told them I did not bring ungodliness into my home. And I stand for righteousness and I preach it then you've not condoned it. You've stood for what is right. And then that conviction that comes from you telling your children in spite of what they actually do. I'll tell you one thing. If you don't tell them the truth, they're never going to know the truth. And they're not going to take it because the church tells them. They're going to take it because the preacher told them. Now let's go on. Let's go now to verse and I, oh, verse 7. Did, did we get all of that? Let's, verse 7. Let's go to 7b. Now here we have seven requirements. I mean, 
A dozen requirements that demonstrate the minister must live above reproach. Everyone say above reproach. See, they're on the, on the right over there. They start at the top as the steward of God. Everyone say as the steward of God. If you have your Bible open, you'll see that's what it is. Or a steward is one who is entrusted with. I'm trying to think of another word. What would you think, Sister French? A steward is like a, one who you, like a, well, yeah, kind of like that. Uh, what would you say, Brother French? A manager. A, a manager of God, like one who manages under God. Okay, yeah, like someone who is placed in trust. That, that's the word that comes to mind. Who's placed in trust of the things of God. So I'm here tonight entrusted with the preaching of the word of God. Actually, I'm teaching it, but it is uh, a requirement. God has called me to... Uh, to preach the word of God. All right, number, that's number one. Number two, not what? Self-willed. That is self-pleasing. You do what you want only from your will. You won't listen to a preacher. You won't even sit and listen to him because you are arrogant and self-pleasing. You have only what you want. Number three, not soon angry. Number four, and I won't count the rest, not given to wine. So if you're drinking wine, you're given to it. No striker. Not, that is not, not violent, not filthy, given to filthy lucre. We, we'll come back to that. But the lover of hospitality, a lover of hospitality. In other words, you got to like people. you got to want to help people. A lover of good or godly men. Sober, just. Sober means uh, you're, you're very careful with people. Just, holy, and temperate. Praise God. Temperate meaning you, you have self-control. So many in the end times, you see the little box there, believe themselves exempt of God's word. They don't have to be obedient to it. They don't have to worry about it. Either they say it doesn't apply to me or it's old-fashioned or whatever reason. They, they think that they're exempt or they're above it, and therefore they're not subject to it. And they also then mistakenly suppose that the ministry sets them above the rules, that as a minister, I'm way up here and I don't have to live by the rules that I preach. And Paul says, uh, none of that's true. That's, that's nonsense. Consider the far-reaching and spiritually challenging elements of just these 12 requirements in these two verses in the life of those called to preach the gospel. Just consider how, how challenging it is for young men, for example, in the day in which we live, to, to say to themselves, I've got to be, I've got to be uh, entrusted with the, the things of God. I've got to have a proper motive. I can't be just, I've got to, I can't be arrogant. I've got to be humble. How do I, Lord, am I humble enough? All the things that come to mind. Ministers must not merely commit at the outset and original zeal for the work of God. In other words, I'm, I'm 25 and I'm becoming a preacher but they have to be committed the rest of their lives to live a blameless life the rest of their lives. Their children may be two years old when they start, and then they become 25 years old. I've already got license years ago, and now my, my children are in their 30s, and what, have, what has their life been like, and what have I been facing, and how am I being judged by those around me? And so it is. Tremendous responsibility placed upon the life of a minister. And so Titus is saying, well, maybe I won't. No, no, he didn't. He was ready to, to do it. Now let's look at verse 9. All right. Uh, can you see that? It's kind of a, they're bringing it up. All right, it's kind of a, I hope you can see it because I want to read. The, the, the big words in the middle are part of the verse. I did this on purpose. So let's read it. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So verse 9 begins, uh, and you can see I put two very, very large uh, Greek words here, but the first one is the Greek word antikamenon, which means to hold fast, that is to hold uh, Firmly, you see, I've given you the meaning to hold firmly to something. Don't don't let go of the faithful. Everyone say the faithful word. 
Everybody get your Bible in your hand. I'll let that go. Everyone take your Bible in your hand. This is a faithful book right here. It, it's never led you astray. And when, when the preacher preaches and you feel conviction, that is God's word stirring your heart to do right. And when you run from it and you say, I don't have to listen to the preacher. I'll get me a preacher that will tell me what I want to hear. You're endangering your soul. You need to say, I refuse to let sin destroy my life. And I'm going to reach out to what thus saith the word of God. It is faithful. It is a faithful word. And I'm going to hold on to it that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Everyone say gainsayers. Now, there's a fairly old word. Let's, let's think about what a gainsayer is. So the gainsayers are those who deny the word of God. So what the preacher is to do is to stand up against those that deny the word of God. Someone sent me a book the other day by a Pentecostal that said the Bible is full of errors. Someone sent me a little thing the other day that said this Pentecostal preacher said, um, well, the Bible has divine and human in it. That's why there's all kinds of wrong in there. But if you look through, you'll see the divine as you go. And guess what I said? That's heresy. That's heresy. Even the Old Testament prophets knew that every single word of God it was settled forever in heaven. Anybody thankful for a word that is settled in heaven? So the, the contradictors of the word, he said, you've got to stand up against them. That means you can't just preach fluff. You can't just preach when people like it. You can't just preach things that people want to hear. And all I'm doing is, is telling you exactly what Paul said. Telling you exactly what Paul said. And yet there are folks that say, well, I don't have to, I don't have to, I don't have to. So we defend and we teach the word of God. We stand up for those, uh, uh, up to those who deny the word of God and we preach the truth. When they say it doesn't matter how you're baptized, we say it does matter how you're baptized. When people say, well, yeah, but you've got a Ph.D., don't you know? Uh, you, you, surely you're not so silly as to think you can. What, what are you, narrow? You can't be narrow-minded and intelligent at the same time. I've heard it so many times it's not even funny. Well, I don't know if I'm intelligent, and I don't know about the rest, but I know that people need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. No matter what anybody says, I don't care. It doesn't matter what people think of me, but what matters is that they're baptized in the name of Jesus. That's what matters. And then they'll say, well, what, what are you trying to say? Are you trying to say I'm not any good? No, I, I never said you weren't any good. But, but you think I need to be baptized? What do you think? I, I think you need to be baptized. Why, have you not been baptized? Well, no. I'm so-and-so church. Well, does that matter what church you, what does that have to do with it? Don't you think you should just obey the Bible? It says be baptized. And so it doesn't matter how intelligent I am or not. I'm going to preach and stand for the word of God. Everybody said amen. All right, verse 10. I only got five verses to go. So <clears throat> verse 10, for there are many, everyone say many, unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. You can see I've read translated those at the bottom they're uh, unruly basically is the word for rebellious and uh, you'd be surprised how many people that once were filled with the holy ghost are now filled with rebellion they've allowed something maybe they want something sinful in their life whatever it is they're mad at somebody they're angry and so they're filled with rebellion instead of peace they're unruly there are many unruly and vain talkers i've retranslated empty-headed, although you see, I, I got a little nervous of saying it that way, so I went ahead and put that in parentheses. Empty-headed speakers. In other words, they speak from an empty head. And, of course, what is empty? Well, they're empty of the truth. They've, instead of embracing the truth, they're empty-headed and they are deceivers. And so he said, you need to steer away from such. This is why I don't understand people that listen to false preachers. I don't. I've had very uh, good friends that would be really enjoyed uh, uh, certain denominational preachers and, and so on. And I would tell them, well, I, I met, like one preacher I'd met is very famous. 
And, uh, but I said, but he never did preach the full gospel. Never preached the full gospel. But he was a good man, had a lot of good things. The problem with listening to false preachers is that it gets a hold of you. Now, I know this will not be received by some, but I'm going to say it. It is what Paul is teaching to Titus. That the moment you allow false preachers into your life, you have invited an ungodly spirit into your life. Now, I'm not sure exactly how it works. As I was praying earlier tonight, I said, Lord, I don't know if I can even teach that. I've, I've, I, I've come to think that the way it gets a hold of people is not because they're mean or, well, they might be. He said, here, they're unruly. I, that, this crowd we're talking about there, I'm talking about as we read along here. Um, I believe the way it gets a hold of people is they, they're sincere or let's say they, they don't mean any harm or they don't mean anything wrong by it. They're actually really good in, in certain ways. But when they open themselves up to an untrue ministry, one that says, for example, what was it we heard today? Someone, someone called me and said, uh, so-and-so preacher said, oh, but, but, oh, I won't say who it was now. I just happened to think who it was. <laughs> but they're sitting in this place, so I won't say. Uh, see, things go through my mind, and I'm not realizing what I'm saying. So anyway, some preacher today, I guess on the radio, said, once you're saved, you're always saved. You can't be lost. No matter what, you could murder the Pope. You could, I don't know if they said that, but you know what I'm saying. You can't be lost. Once you're saved, you're saved, you're saved, you're saved, you're saved. If you listen to it, meaning, I don't mean you, did, you heard it, but if you listen to it and you let it seep into your spirit, it creates, listen to me, it creates a lack of conviction for what is true. The minute you lose your conviction, for example, there are people walking in holiness right now, but suddenly the devil comes along and says, does it really matter how you're dressing right now? You think God really cares if you look like that or this or what? Who does God even care? What does he care? And, and he, what does he care about the outside anyway? And you begin to, suddenly your conviction, what happens with a false teacher is he cleverly opens his empty head to try to make you think it doesn't matter. And he destroys your conviction. That's what I think happens, but I'm not sure. Let's go on. All right, so it is. Now, let's go, let's go to verse 11, how to deal with these false preachers, all right? That's what we're looking at. How many can tell that that wolf has sheep's clothes on? Can you see that? <coughs> okay, that was the idea. I just want to make sure you could see it because I put a bunch of stuff over it. Now, at the bottom there where it says, for filthy lucre, I just want to be sure that you know, because I teach Greek, and I want to be clear here, that although you could say money, filthy lucre is not the Greek word for money. Could be money. And so what I've done there, can you see that red? Uh, see that red? It's an idiom. It's an ancient idiom for ill-gain money or ill-gained wealth. In other words, you got it in a let's say, evil or shameful way. That's why, for example, the ESV translates it shameful. And that's very good. That's exactly what it does mean. But what I'm trying to tell you is that it does not mean money, just automatically. It is usually money, but what I'm trying to tell you is that it isn't just another word for money. Like, that's the Greek word for money. That's not the Greek word for money. It's the Greek word, I screw kardus. All right, so these two words together mean that you shamelessly gain something by lying for it. That's what it means. Now, it's probably money. You end up with money or somebody gives you something or whatever in return for it. All right, so he says, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert or disrupt whole houses or, or families. That's, that's what's meant here. Teaching things which they ought not. It would say they ought not. I don't understand people that just love listening to false doctrine. I, I, I understand when people are sincere. I, I know that I'm trying, to be, I'm trying to walk a very careful line here. But when someone is teaching something, for example, I know preachers. I, I read a book the other day by a man that believes that when I speak in tongues, it's the devil. 
But I didn't read it because I liked it. I didn't say, oh, what if he's right? He's so wonderful. He has this great big church in California, and he's, he's famous. No, I didn't read it for that. I read it because I wanted to understand why he thought that speaking in tongues was, uh, was evil. And when I got done, I said he hadn't got a brain in his head. That's what I said. I said, the man doesn't have a brain in his head. I wish he did, but he doesn't. And so what he's saying is a lie. What he said right there is a lie. Now, whether he knows it, I'm not sure. But he's telling people that if you get near a Pentecostal church, God is going to spit you out. I don't know why people would just bring that into their hearts and bring that fear into their lives. What you need to do is say, I love you, but I'm sorry. You're absolutely wrong. And I'm going to go talk in tongues right now. Woo! Hallelujah. And just start praising God. When the devil starts talking to you, you need to start talking to God. You don't need to embrace a false teaching. Teaching things which they ought not. Or have, I translate it, have no right to teach. And there's a good reason for it, and I'm going to stick with it. They have no right to teach it. In other words, they have no authority from God. No right whatsoever. No man, now you listen to me. No man has a right to teach something that God did not say. That goes against the word of God. I don't care if you have a PhD on top of your head. You have no right to teach what God's word does not. I have no right. You have no right. We, we need to give ourselves to the word of God. We do not need to listen to those that are trying to steal from the hearts of the saints what is righteous. And what they're trying to steal in this generation besides doctrine is holiness. They cannot stand it that the fastest growing church in the world is a holiness Pentecostal body of believers. They cannot stand it. But why don't we give God praise for a church that's alive and well. Thank you, Jesus. So let's go on. Let's go. I'm almost done. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are always liars. And, of course, you see that's Epimenides. You see that name right there? That's his statue. And that's all I'm going to say about Epimenides. I don't have, I have little interest in Epimenides as a Greek uh, philosopher. But what I'm trying to tell you is that Paul then comes back around and says, all right, even Epimenides said, I don't want you to think that Epimenides is correct, that Epimenides is a preacher of the gospel. He's not. He's a pagan philosopher. Paul quotes him to say, even one of their own has explained that the Cretan people are dealing with their sinful nature. Because he says they are always liars. But, of course, the Latin, uh, I mean, the Greek translation here that this guy gives us is all Cretans are liars. And then, of course, there's more to it, and it says evil beasts, and there's much more than this. But uh, Paul chose to quote, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. That doesn't sound like they thought much of the Cretans. That sounds like a very rough thing to say about a group of people. <clears throat> Paul's point, of course, he's just quoting Epimenides, but Paul's point in quoting it was to say, he says, of course, this witness is true, that is that a sinful nature that one's inclinations to do wrong have to be handled. And here's what Paul says for Titus to do. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, or severely, that they may be sound in the faith. Now, just below the word rebuke, I've put the Greek word, eleka, which means to stir conviction by the means of a reprimand. Now, what I have found in my experience as a 62-year-old minister is that people do not take well to reprimand. You can tell them that, is not sufficient. Your clothing is not modest enough. Do it anyway, the nicest way, the kindest way. Many, many people will not take kindly to a reprimand. But the truth is, without 
the rebuke, which I choose not to say the word rebuke because it means a reprimand which is offered in order to bring conviction. That's what, that's what this word rebuke means. Eleka means I offer a reprimand. I am saying to you, your words are not righteous. You need to quit using that kind of language. Yeah, I've had the Holy Ghost a month or two, and I'm still saying blankety, blankety, blank. Well, it wasn't blankety, blank I'm talking about. It was the blankety, blank after that. You're still talking like an unrighteous sinner, and you need to put a cap on it. And you need to tell yourself, I'm going to bring it under control. I'm going to do what I need to do. Of course, if you've been living for God for 30 years and you're still cursing, you're hopeless. It's going to take a revival knocking these walls out to change your attitude. But what I am telling you today is that when we speak reprimand, when we actually, in a sense, preach to bring about conviction, that is the only way a life is going to be impacted and sound doctrine be built upon. You can't say, well, it'd all be nice if we'd live holy. But if you want to sing your little solo, that's okay. No, no, it's not okay. This platform's going to stay holy. This platform's going to stay righteous. We're going to preach righteousness. And when we parade people up here, it is going to be righteousness. Like those little babies that walked up here Easter morning and they came over here. It's going to be pure as those children because that's what it ought to be. Conviction that comes because someone has heard the words of truth. So I don't apologize for it. I cannot tell you the letters. I cannot tell you the, the times. The, I mean it, folks. I have, a, I have an entire series that someone videoed me uh, 20 years ago. Sister Rich, how many years ago do you think it was that they videoed me? Uh, are you, do you, you, you hear me? How many years ago do you think it was that they videoed me and uh, teaching on hair uh, somewhere and then they put it on the Internet? It's been there for 20 years. How many years? <laughs> I didn't think you were quite connecting. Um, all right, that's, she's rarely misses it, so. Could you erase that from the, <laughs> but I, I can't tell you the people that contact me over and over and over and over. And, and uh, it's mostly favorable, but I get some of the most vitriolic comments from people I don't know. I never, don't know who they are. I don't know if they're even, I uh, assume they're not apostolic. And they'll say, I saw your video. When I first got it, I was like, what? I don't have a video. I had forgotten that this college videoed me for uh, hours, like, 15 hours or 10, whatever, eight hours, nine, I don't remember, a long, long time. And it was an entire series on 1 Corinthians 11. And, and they'll, they'll contact me, like they'll say, when was that? And I'll say, well, I don't remember, it's been a long time ago. And they say, do you still believe that? Yes, I still believe it. I still preach it. I still live it. Because it's the word of God. I'm never going to change the word of God. You expect us to change the word of God? Instead of saying, well, let me talk to you about why I disagree, they just become filled. You know what that is? That's conviction. That's the spirit of conviction gripping someone and saying, I don't have to live that way. Well, I didn't say you had to live any certain way. I just said this is what the Bible says. All I was saying is this is what the Bible said. I wasn't. I didn't write you a letter. I didn't come into your home. I didn't write you a seven-page uh, document. All I did was I went somewhere. I preached. I taught. I gave it. And now 20 years later, it's out there. And you're feeling the conviction because that word begins to convict the heart. That's what T Titus needed to learn. Conviction is more important than your golf game. Did you ever read that scripture? It's because it's not in the Bible. But conviction, Titus, is the most important thing. Let's go to the next one. Sound in the faith we just read. Everyone say sound. Which, by the way, I want to talk. I'm going to leave that for later. Because I noticed that none of the books on Titus 
talk about what, what sound doctrine, what sound doctrine is. So we'll, we'll take a look at that. Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that is going back to the Jewish law and that these commandments of men who or that, and the King James says that, modern English wasn't, doesn't allow that, but who turn, everyone say, from the truth. Now that's a middle active participle, so that means it should correctly be understood or be translated they turn themselves away. They have the truth, but they turn themselves away from it. Usually it's quite slow, and they keep pushing away. They won't look back. It's like they're nervous. I don't want to see it. Don't, don't remind me of it. And they turn themselves away from the truth. And Paul tells Titus, I don't care how important they are. I don't care who they are. The first question you ask yourself is, do they believe in the truth? Is the person I'm listening to, and, and when I say listen, I mean listening to with your heart. Do they believe in the truth? If they don't, be very, very careful. When I went to the university and I got a degree in theology years ago, I had several preachers call me and said, be very careful. And do you think I got mad and said, how dare them tell me to be careful? No, I didn't get mad. My own wife turned to me one morning and said, honey, you need to be very careful. You are in the middle of it. They, they all know you. you you've, you've earned this, this scholarship and you're right in the middle, but, but be very careful because I can tell that you're capable, you're listening, but, but just, and I remember when she said it, the Holy Ghost convicted me. It was just like, a, like the wind of the Spirit caught me right here and I, I wanted to run, get on my knees and say, Lord, I'd rather die a, a complete ignoramus and know nothing if I'm going to ever turn away from the truth. I want to know the truth. I want to preach the truth. I don't need money and riches. I've been offered all kinds of figures of money. It's not money that I want. It's the truth that I want. Don't let me turn. And the second question you need to ask, Titus, is are they moving away from the truth? Because if they're in the turn, then they're going to do things they would never do otherwise. And you need to handle them in a, in a special way. Under the pure, let's go to the end. I'm, I'm done. Under the pure, all things are pure. So truth purifies the believer so that all things which the acts of the law previously purified, such as sacrifices, are now provided in the atonement through the power of the Holy Ghost. So that I don't have to offer a sacrifice of blood of an animal. I now have the power of the Holy Ghost. Everyone say, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. To the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled, that is, they, they turn back to the, their old way, in this case, Jewish faith, and the unbelieving is nothing pure. Now, I've, I've thought about this. I told the Lord, Lord, please don't let me get to that part tonight because I've wrestled with this my entire life. There's so many powerful things in this verse that are that the devil hates, and so I just want to uh, I just want to push it out there for Satan to know that God's word is true no matter what man says. To them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. Holy things mean absolutely nothing to them. We may be in the, I, I don't know about Sodom, but we may be in the boldest evil generation. And America has certainly turned itself from generations of hungering after God to hungering after something else. And to them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. I, I feel so strongly what that means that I, I want to wait to talk about it. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. So when you reject the truth, then 
and his sacrifice, it leaves only condemnation. Thus, when you turn from Christ, your thinking is corrupted. You're, it, it's like you're turning from what must be. And you become, as it were, like a dog that is returned to his vomit. You have turned away from what is pure to that which is impure. And you have no notion of righteousness. But, of course, you claim it every day. You clap your hands as though it's so and yet you're as evil as the generation all about you. And so even their mind and their conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in their works, they deny him. They say, I'm as good as you. I'm, I'm as Pentecostal as you are. But in their works, they deny it. Being abominable, and disobedient. Abominable. And disobedient. What a horrible indictment. To turn from the truth. Leaves you abominable. I could define it, but I think we get it. And disobedient. And unto everything that is holy good, every good work, you've become reprobate. I may have just described America. I may have just described America. It has become detestable, the very thing that it elevated, the missionary capital of the world, the nation that sent out more missionaries than any people in the history of the world, is now running as fast as it can from righteousness. Would rather listen to a sports star or someone else any day of the week than to listen to the word of God. Thank the Lord there are millions and millions of people whose hearts are pure. What I'm saying is there is a price to pay when you turn away from the truth. Can we stand together? That's our lesson tonight, chapter 1. And don't tell, tell me how long I went. I don't know. I, I can't be. I can't help it. I'm, I'm just, I had to do it. I want us to lift our hands. And could we do that and just love the Lord a little bit? Father, tonight I thank you for young men that are coming along that want to preach righteousness. They want to learn about holiness. They want to know the apostles' doctrine. They don't want to just golf every day and have a good time. They're not just looking for money. They're looking for a ministry. And so I pray that you'll send, Lord, a great revival to the United Pentecostal Church and the apostolic movement worldwide. I pray that our people around the world will have revival, will love righteousness and not turn from it. Lord, let us stand strong in righteousness in these last days. Lord, let us love truth and, Lord, help us to be humble and stand before God in loving the faith and living the faith all the days of our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for helping us. And are we moving this? Is that what you're...